In the words of a king, there is power. And as we behold him with unveiled faces, we're transformed into the very image of God. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. K. Ijishesan, brought to you by Kingswood Ministries International. We believe that as you listen, faith is stirred up in you to become all that God has called you to be. So yesterday while I was flying to Houston, the Lord began to deal with me. He said, when you talk about gratitude, the first thing the human mind goes to is what they have seen, what has manifested, what has appeared. And it began to deal with me on what I call gratitude beyond manifestation. So the kind of gratitude I'm talking about has nothing to do this morning, or in a way it has something to do, but it's not primarily resting on the testimonies we have seen or the testimonies we are anticipating. You know, there's such a thing as intentional gratitude to consciously release your faith because nothing fits faith like gratitude. Anytime you are intentional about giving glory to God, even when things does not seem good, your faith, which is your capacity to receive from God, enlarges. So we don't just give thanks when things have happened. We give thanks in anticipation of things happening. Abraham staggered at the promise of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory. That is smartness. That is spiritual intelligence. So you don't wait for things to happen. You make things to happen. And one of the ways you make things to happen is you are deliberate about giving thanks for what has not manifested. You don't wait for it to happen. You make it happen. You thank God for that breakthrough. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. You thank God for your children. Or you thank God for them going to school debt-free. I don't know if you love your children to go to school debt-free. You can stand up if you, if you want it. It's not for everybody. I've just felt an anointing. I say, I don't know if you want your children to go to school debt-free. Say after me, say, I thank you, Lord, for my children. Even if you don't have a child right now, you can say, say I thank you, Lord. For my children, because they won't have any debts on their name. They will graduate college debt-free. There's supernatural provision and there's favor for my children to have the best of education anywhere they desire debt-free. Can you give God praise for that? You may be seated. That is intentional gratitude. In other words, you are, you are giving God praise, thanks. To deliberately increase your capacity to receive from him. We don't wait for things to happen. We make things to happen. We make things to happen. So when you are praising God when it does not seem so, it shows you are smart spiritually. Smart people praise God for what has not manifested. That is great. So we don't just thank God for what has happened. We thank God in anticipation of what must happen. <laughs> I love that. It must happen. It must happen. You are that confident that it must happen because God's credit is good. And you start praising him for what has not shown up. Because his realm is more real to you than this realm. In this realm, it has happened. Because the moment he said it, it became a reality. The words which I speak unto you, they are spirits. Words are spirits. So every of God's word is a spirit. If God says you will not die but live to declare the glory of the Lord in the living, spirit has just been released in the air. 
And that spirit will ensure that your physicality, the manifestations around you align with that spirit. So every time I'm walking around, spirits are walking with me. So is the word spirit? The words which I'm speaking, they are spirits. They bring favor my way. Am I talking to somebody? They, they cause things to happen. I, I, I encounter favor that cannot be described. Look at one of those testimonies. Just had a meeting with vendors and they said, you need a warehouse to go to the next level. And he could not even imagine where the warehouse was coming from. But there's a God that works behind the scene. That God made sure someone who was not even familiar to him will be the agent to supply it. I was talking to somebody in Houston yesterday. I said, one of our problems is that, you know, we, we are too connected to channels that God used that we miss out on the source. A couple of years ago, I had an encounter. Something that marvelous was going on financially. You know, money was coming in. I was smiling. I was happy. And God, I would have thought God would say, okay, I understand that you're happy. No. He just showed up and said to me, he said, son, why are you excited? You're excited because of all these channels, right? I'm disappointed. I said, really? Should I not be grateful? He said, I'm not saying you should not be grateful. But beyond the channels, there is a source. If you are excited because it's flowing now, if that channel gets closed, that means you'll be disappointed. And God told me, he said, no matter what I give you, don't make it an idol. You know, some people have made their job their idol. Some people have made that business deal their idol. The same God that led Elijah to the brook of Sherit can shut down the brook of Sherit to get his attention. He said, I'm not just the one that opens door, I can close door. There are certain doors that have become distractions. So God shuts the door so that he can get your attention. Who told you you need a brook to be fed? What if I decide to send you to a widow woman to keep you alive? A widow woman who is broke, who had just the last thing. Why well, say, because I'm God, I'm that powerful as a source that can open up any channel. Even that woman was not aware that she's going to become a channel. Because in her natural thinking, she was thinking, I just have just enough to eat the last meal with my children and die. And yet God said, this is my plan. I don't know who I'm prophesying over. Don't let me go with your small thinking. While you are planning for the future, please accommodate God. Don't you anybody say, neighbor? neighbor? Always accommodate God. It's an inexhaustible channel. It's an inexhaustible source. So beyond any channel that has been opened, there is a source that is reliable. Can you give God a shout of praise? So God rebuked me. He said, take your mind off that channel. Just put it on me. Because it's possible that I will use another channel the next time. But if you are so fixed on that channel, once that channel is not flowing, you are disappointed. Because your faith is not in the source, but in the channel. So as God opens channels for us, don't get carried away with the channels. Always return the glory back to what? The source. But that's not what I'm talking about. I just gave you that free of charge, you know. You know I like you, you know, so freebies, you know. Just take it, take it. Okay, to the original message today, 
gratitude beyond manifestation. In other words, gratitude that is not tied to anything happening. This is not about what you have seen or what you are anticipating to see. But this is all tied to what has happened. And this is what I call gratitude 101. This is, if you don't understand this gratitude, you don't really understand gratitude. Because everything that you are seeing and everything you are anticipating to see is tied to what I'm about to talk about. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 12. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 12. It's a giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13 says, he has delivered, can you say past tense? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed or transported us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of our sins. Do you know every single manifestation you have seen and every single manifestation you are anticipating is tied to this? And Paul saw it. He knew it. He said, I give thanks to the Father <laughs> for what happened on the cross. Because if not for the cross, your car would not have manifested. If not for the cross, you will not be married to that cute woman. If not for the cross, you will not have those amazing children. If not for the cross, you would have been buried six feet under. If not for the cross, a whole lot of things would have gone wrong in your life. Giving thanks for what happened on the cross. So gratitude 101 takes you back to the cross. We're not talking about those little, little manifestations. Let's talk about the major work that took place on the cross. Because this is where gratitude starts. Understanding what took place on the cross. So this morning, I want to highlight for you briefly what happened on the cross. If you already know it, it will refresh your memory. If you have never had it before, wonderful. What an opportunity to learn. So don't assume you know what I'm, I'm going to talk about. No, people have to realize, I know what he's going to talk about. Are you sure? Let me highlight what happened on the cross, what Jesus did for you. You know, we celebrate Easter, he died, he resurrected. Do you understand it? Maybe you've been taught a few times, but is it so real to you? Do you walk around in the consciousness of the Because if you understand what the cross represents, you realize all the curriculum is already in the cross. The cross is so complete that it does not need any supplements. Jesus plus, no. You don't need to plus anything. It's Jesus alone. Verse 10 of Colossians chapter 2 says, In him we are complete. <laughs> verse 10, Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. He says, and you are complete. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. you are complete. Oh, come on, make, it, make, it, make your neighbor feel good. Come on, the way you say it. The way you said it. He didn't feel you. Come on, say, say neighbor, you are complete. I just give somebody a line you are thinking about to ask a lady out. You know, can you imagine walking up to a lady and say, I just want to let you know you are complete. You are complete. But now we're not talking about you know, your girlfriend, we're talking about <laughs> you and Jesus. 
So without you, you are incomplete. Without what? Him. So your completeness is tied to him. So anytime you pull away from the cross, there's a sense of deficiency because your completeness is in him. And that's why anytime you are so far away from the, from the cross in your thinking, you begin to feel condemned. <laughs> For our righteousness is not of ourselves. He robbed us by himself. In him, you are complete. Hey, looking unto Jesus, the author and the feeling, everything we need from beginning to the end, A to Z, is in Jesus. In him, we are complete. Lift up your two hands wherever you are. Say, in Jesus, Jesus. I am complete. Oh, that's a message on his own. I'm complete. Man, you know, there's a way you can look at your flaws, at your misses, at your mistakes, at all the things that are not going on in your life and break down in tears. What about, not, what about looking unto Jesus and say, I'm complete? I'm complete. Can we, can, let's do this exercise for one minute, for 30 seconds. Can we rise up? Can we rise up? I want to teach you something. Can you look up and say, Jesus, Jesus. I look unto you, my completeness, and thank you consciously. From the depth of my heart, because you have completed me. Lift up your hands and just worship him. In Jesus, we are complete. In Jesus, I'm complete. In myself, I'm full of flaws. In myself, I'm full of inadequacies. But in Jesus, I'm complete. Just worship God for the next 15 seconds. In you, I'm complete. In you, I'm complete. In you, I'm complete. In you, I'm complete. Somebody shout, I am complete in him. Now let's sit down. Very briefly, let me now run you through Colossians chapter 2 from verse 11 to 15. Let's do some Bible study. Let me highlight to you. What Jesus did on that cross to make you complete. One, verse 11 says, In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hand. Now, if you have ever read the Old Testament, you will see that God instructed uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 that every male child must be what? circumcised on their foreskin. I don't know if you know about that. But you know, that circumcision is actually a type and a shadow of the real circumcision. Because what God had in mind was not the fleshly circumcision, but rather the circumcision in your spirit. He said, now, in Jesus you are circumcised. The only thing is that this circumcision had nothing to do with a blade or some sharp equipment running through your physical body. But it took place in the realm of the spirit. He said there was a circumcision. So when you came into Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. There was no need for hands to be used in doing that kind of circumcision because this one is a spiritual one. He said, by putting up the body of the sins of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ. So there's something we call the circumcision of Christ. The circumcision of Christ. And there's something about circumcision which is so powerful. Can you imagine in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when David was, was faced with Goliath, what did he say? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? 
That means there's something powerful about, about circumcision. There's something that, 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 that circumcision unleashes in you. Can you imagine a teenage boy approaching a giant seven feet tall? Or I don't even know how tall again. I used to know, but I can't remember right now. A, a giant and a little boy. And the little boy was so confident that he was going to win the battle just because of circumcision of the flesh, which was a tie and the shadow of the real thing which you have. David was so confident because of his circumcision. You, how dare you confront the people of God? Don't you know we are circumcised? So he said, then what does it mean to be circumcised? To be circumcised means to be in covenant. Genesis 17, 11. To be circumcised means to be what? In covenant. is a sign of the covenant. It's a sign that tells you you, 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 you belong to someone. Somebody is responsible for you. You know, when you are circumcised, you, are, you, you walk in confidence because, you know, there's somebody who has come in covenant with you. And in a covenant relationship, you have an opportunity to, to, to lean on, I mean, to, to, to lean on someone else's strength and use it as if it's your own. Genesis 17, 11, it says, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So they were circumcised in their flesh, which was to be a proof that they were in covenant with God. So every time they look, they see, they, they, they see the circumcision, they are reminded, God is responsible for me. I came this morning to let somebody know, maybe you have forgotten, God is responsible for your life. God is responsible for your future. All this overthinking about your life, I'm not saying you should not plan, but there's a level of planning that becomes unscriptural. Hey, my life, my life, you are circumcised. Don't you never say you've been circumcised with Christ. Circumcision of Christ. He said, a sign of the covenant between me and you. The same way, the moment you got married, all your earthly possession, including your, your fine Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon, is ours now. So I said, Pastor, don't go there. I married her. I married her, not my car. The, the day you married her, even your car married her. You know, I came late yes, uh, this morning, and, you know, I was so drudgy. Uh, yes, you know, by the time my wife was coming to church, you know, I was still sleeping, so I said, I see you. So I woke up, and I was ready to go, and the car I normally use had gone. Did I get mad? No. By the way, if you are married, the car that works well belongs to your wife, and the one that has for belongs to you. Somebody shout amen to that. That's one of the things I learned in marriage. Anytime the car breaks down, I get a phone call. Your car is down. <laughs> so the car that is good belongs to what? Am I preaching good? The car that, be, that is good belongs to your? The ones that need to be fixed belongs to? <laughs> because it's in covenant with you. And covenant, God is saying, we are yoked in covenant. And because we are yoked, I have a responsibility to keep you, to protect you. 
Your life is not just your life. Your life is God's responsibility. Give thanks to God. Because through the cross, there was a circumcision of the Spirit that made you God's responsibility. Secondly, Genesis, I mean, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, buried with him in baptism, in which you, are, you also were raised with him. And I want us to follow the sequence. It says, first of all, you were buried with him with, in baptism. So, I mean, the baptism must never lose his, 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 the revelation behind it. It's not just you baiting. It's not just what has been splashed on you. It's about giving you a picture of what happened on the cross. Now, if your water baptism is not about Christ or does not give you a revelation of what took place on the, on, uh, I mean, on the cross and in the death and resurrection of Jesus, then you have missed it. Buried with Christ. Now, listen. We were so miserable in our sin. And for God to be able to help us, do you know what he had to do? He had to come to our level and identify with our miserable state. So he was buried with you in that state. But the glory of God in his resurrection, you came alive with him. Lift up your hands and shout, I am alive with Jesus. You know, a lot of people, the revelation of that Jesus died for them is so real to them. But that revelation that they are alive with Jesus is not real to them. In the same vein that he died for you, you are made alive with him. He said you are buried with him in baptism in which you, are, you also were raised. So don't just die. Be raised. Hmm. Somebody shout, I'm raised. I'm raised. So don't just be I was buried with him. Okay, you are buried with him. But you are buried with him so that you can be raised with him. So don't stop at the barrier. Go all the way to the resurrection. Go all the way to the state of being seated with Christ in dominion. I was buried with him. <laughs> now I'm alive with him. I'm alive with him. I'm alive with him. I'm alive with him. Somebody messed up my notes. Let me, let me use my phone. The way they, they printed it, they just crushed everything together. I don't know. This is a pre precious revelation that God gave me. I don't want to miss on anything. Okay. So you are buried and raised with Christ. Jesus identified with us in a miserable spiritual state so that he can bring us into his life. So the point I'm trying to make is now is life is our reality. So you can sing all about it died for you. But are you ready to sing about the fact that you have been made alive with him, with his life? So the life that you live with. The Bible says if he, if he loved us enough to die for us when we were not his own, how much more being saved by his life now? So a revelation of him should not just be about the fact that he died for us, but it should also be about that we live with his life. John chapter 5 verse 26, he says, As the father has life in himself, so has he given it to his son. If you call yourself a son of God, a child of God, that means you do life with his life. God's life. 
the indestructible, incorruptible, immortal life of God is your reality. If the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that same spirit will quicken, give life. So you do life with his life. Your cells are alive. Your tissues are alive. Your organs are alive. Your systems are alive because you have access to his immortal life. I have a reality of his life. I was not just buried with him. I do life with his life. I'm conscious of his life. In him was life. And that life, the Zoe God kind of life, is the light of men. So if we're going to be, you know, if going to have impact in our generation, you must do life with his life. Because in this darkness, it takes his life to have light. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. In other words, without his life, it will be all dark. Your light is a function of that life. Somebody shout, I have life. Just like Jesus. Come on, Shari, say, I have life. Just like Jesus. Do you believe that? Shari, one more time, say, I have life. Just like Jesus. So you don't just have the consciousness that I died with him. Go all the way to the fact that you are raised with him, with his life. You are made to sit together and dominate with his life. I rule with the life of Christ. Don't just be aware of the blood that runs through your vein. Be aware of the life that you carry in your spirit. I have the life of God. Oh, I have the life of God. I have the life of God. The life that makes it impossible for God to forsake is my heritage. The life that keeps, that preserves, that makes you 20 times younger than your real age is my heritage. The life that reverses the weaknesses in your natural lineage is my heritage. So I don't go around and say, oh, men in our family, they die. Ah, mm -mm. This is a different kind of man. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This man is a new creation in Christ Jesus that chooses to identify with the life of God more than the natural lineage. Oh, high blood pressure runs in our family. You know, you know, diabetes runs in our family. Which family do you belong to? Let me ask your neighbor, which family are you part of? Because some people are so much aware of their natural family and the awareness of their supernatural family is so weak. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm falsely, I'm falsely an African. I'm falsely a Nigerian. I'm, I'm for, I don't care where your village, you, I don't care about you and your village people this morning. Primarily, I care about Christ. Because what you are dealing with, your village people cannot help you. So you need the life of Christ. Don't you know say, identify with Christ more than with your naturality. You know me, I wear it with confidence. I'm an Isom man. I'm an, I'm an, is that what you say? A doman. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Zambia. I'm a, I'm a South Africa. I'm an American. And Americans are very proud. Wear it everywhere. I'm an American. Do, do you know who you're talking to? Can I see your supervisor? I wish somebody would wear the consciousness of Christ like that. I'm Christ-like. I have his life. And that's why I say I'm his son. How can I have his life and walk around as if I'm still dead? I used to be miserable, but now I'm alive. He has made us alive. 
raised us with his name. So we are not just buried with him, we resurrected with him. And we walk around carrying his life. I have the life of God. And you know, on the daily basis, you will have to contend with the reality that sins and the essential reality. The reality that sins is like, you know, your physical body is decaying. But the essential reality is you have the life of Christ. So you must learn how to apply the essential reality over the reality that seems. Beyond time, there's an eternity that's your reality. And there's a life that proceeds from that dimension of, rea- of, 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 of life, which has become your reality. Own it. Say it everywhere. This is my reality. I'm born of God. I do life by his life. I reign in life by his life. His life is my reality, not the mortality of the natural, of the natural life. The immortality of that life is more real to me. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout I have life. Spend a lot of time on that. Let me, so you are made alive. What about this? You are completely forgiven. Hey, so you are not just alive. You are forgiven. Oh my God. Really? You are completely forgiven. Verse 13. Look at it. Verse 13 says, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and your circumcision of the flesh, he has made alive together with his life, right? Having forgiven all of forgiving you all trespasses. So it's not like God kept your sins in one storage. Like our parents do most of the time. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. And they remind you, last week you did this. Anybody grew up in a home like mine? Seven weeks ago, you did it. Mommy, are you keeping time? Last year, ah, you did this. But you know, a lot of people still have that mindset that God still has all their messes kept in a storage. And whenever they mess up again, remind you, you have come again. When for God forgives, he does not just forgives, he completely wipes it off. God is not keeping tab of your mistakes. That's why the Bible says he loves you unconditionally. His memory of you is not based on your mistake. It's based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. You are completely forgiven. But the question is, have you forgiven yourself? (laughs) If not for the mess I made when I was growing up, I won't be in this mess. Could it be that the image of the previous mess is what is still messing you up. Christ has forgiven you, but you are holding up to the image. Oh, it's my mess. I will own my mess. I don't know about you. I would rather own my forgiveness. Lift up your two hands and shout, I'm forgiven! forgiven. He has forgiven us. A lot of people are walking with condemnation all over their shoulder, pressing their lives down, you know. We are all sinners. No, we are forgiven. I am forgiven. So gratitude based on what his blood did for you and I, you are completely forgiven. Forgiven. You are forgiven. Then let me move to the 14th verse, 2 Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. 
This one is powerful. It said, having wiped out the hard writing of requirements that was against us. You know, a lot of times people don't understand what the scripture is literally talking about. It was talking about the legality that came with the law, which we needed to fulfill. You know, the law was given to Israel, but God knew the law was not going to solve the problem. In fact, the law was just part of the process, but was never the end. In fact, the Bible says, with the law came the knowledge of what? Sin. So the law, the law did not provide solution for sin, but rather it brought revelation of what? Sin. But that was needed because you can't solve a problem until the problem has been revealed. So the law revealed the problem, but grace solved the problem. So we are not against the law. In fact, thank God for the law. Because if the law has not been given, we would not have known that we needed a savior. So the law came and there was a revelation of our weakness. The law was not given to justify, but it was given to reveal sin. So that man can humbly come to his knees and ask for help from the savior. Who is the savior? Jesus and on the cross, what was he doing? He said he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Every single details of what man needed to do to qualify for the righteousness of God was taken care of in Christ Jesus on the cross. And that's why we boldly declare, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he's the one that fulfilled the requirements. He has made the requirements. Somebody shout, I have made the requirements. Do you believe it? Come on, shout it three times. Say, Christ has made the requirements needed for my righteousness. He said, wiped out every handwriting requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. In other words, the law was not working for us. It was working against us. And that's why it would be so sad for a new creation in Christ Jesus to reverse back to the law. The law points the attention at you. Grace points the attention at Jesus. So we are not busy looking at ourselves. We are busy looking at the one that died for us and fulfilled the requirements of the law. But you know the beautiful part, as we focus on Jesus, we bring forth the fruits of righteousness. We're not doing this so that we can live anyhow. We're doing this because that is the way to bear fruits after him. Looking at Jesus. Jesus is the focus, not you. Examine yourself. The, all these years that you've been looking at yourself, have you fixed you? But when you look at Jesus, the fruits came out, begin to come out. Is they having wiped out the handwritings of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way. He cleared it out of the way. Clean states. I love the last phrase. Having nailed it to the cross. I want you to picture Jesus on that cross. And as he was being nailed... Every single details of the requirements you are supposed to fulfill was nailed into the cross with him. He fulfilled it. And that's why you owe him your worship lifetime. Oh, Jesus, you receive it all. All the punishment I deserve. You met all the requirements for me to be righteous. Oh, now I say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, he has taken it. Now, if he has taken it out of the way, why are you bringing it back to your life? 
I'm not good. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. I'm bad. I'm terrible. Shut up. Stop that nonsense. Do you think Jesus excited in heaven? And you call that worship? I remember, you know, in, in college those days, you know, where we used to go and pray. There was this gentleman. We come almost every evening. I would say, Father, <laughs> I know I'm a mess. I'm a terrible mess. I don't even know why you saved me. I don't deserve it. I'm so messy. I'm terrible. I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. Lord. And it will go like that for 30, 45 minutes. That is not worship. And that is not humility. That is humiliation. Jesus is looking at the angels in heaven. He said, what's going on here? I thought I died for him. But I would rather identify with the mess I cleanse more than the clean state I've given him. Why not embrace your clean states and start bearing fruits? Because if you really want to bear fruits, you have to move away from the law and move into grace. For sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. In other words, under the law, sin has dominion. Romans 6.14, if you want to cut the wings of sin, move out of the law and move into grace. Make it about Jesus. <laughs> and before you know it, all the things you are struggling with, you can't struggle with it again. Because the more you feed on your weakness, the more your weakness grows. The more you feed on Jesus, the more you bring forth after Jesus. Somebody shout, I focus on Jesus and what he did for me on the cross more than the shortcomings, the deficiencies, and the flaws of my life. If you believe that, shout hallelujah. And lastly, he disarmed, stripped off the authority of the forces of darkness. And he boldly displayed. You know, I was meditating on it this morning when I woke up. You know, this show of thing, Jesus started it. The Bible says he made a public spectacle. So it was not just that he defeated the devil, you know, privately and he said, okay, okay, let's just keep it secret. He came out and started showing off with it. Abdizamed. Can you get on your feet? Abdizamed. Maybe you are here, you are still so conscious of the forces of darkness. I came to announce to you, he has disarmed them. The forces of, he disarmed them. The devil has nothing on you. The cross settled the case. He settled the case. You know, it's your, the, the problem is your mind. Your mind still thinks the battle is going on. The battle has been won. That's why we call it the finished work of redemption. This is where our victory starts from. You know, people will rather do prayer points of all oh, the enemies that are from my east, from the west, from the south. Oh my God, it's the flesh. It's an unrenewed mind. But there's something about knowing that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them. He showed up the victory. I have won. In Matthew 28 verse 18, he declared, All power in heaven and on earth am I. And, and what do we see? We see Christians that walk around as if they have no power. I am weak. I don't know what to do. It's time to wear the victory of Jesus. It's time to own the victory of Jesus. Because that victory is yours. Lift up your hands and celebrate that victory this morning. Is that the way to... I say celebrate the victory of Jesus. It disarms principalities and powers. Turn to your neighbor and say principalities, principalities. and powers have been disarmed. 
Another translation says he stripped them off their authority. Hey! We hope you've been richly blessed by this teaching from Kingswood Ministries International. Feel free to visit our website at kingswood.org for more inspiring teachings by Dr. K. Ijishasong. There you'd also find other helpful materials and further information about this ministry. God bless you richly.